Well, we, we've officially made it, almost in, or officially into like the third week of the new year. Um, and I was talking to a gym owner who's a friend of mine that goes to church here, and I said, is the gym already fading out? And he said, yes. <laughs> and this is, this is kind of true in a lot of our lives. It's, it, it's kind of the American uh, and almost demonized thing by a lot of us because we recognize that change is a lot harder than we want it to be. Uh, and so you get uh, a lot of resolve. You know, I heard a lady in the bank on January 3rd. She's like, new year, new me. And I, I, and, and, and I, I heard her say that to the teller, and the teller responded like I would respond with this look of like, okay, we'll see about that. Because, because there is a cynicism that settles in about the idea that we can change ourselves. Most of us resolve to do a lot that is still unresolved, and it has not been done. And so I, I want to communicate to you at this point in your year that there are two challenges that you and I face. There is the first challenge, which is get a vision. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 17 says, where there is no vision, the people go unrestrained or the people perish in the KJV. The idea is if you do wake up and aim for nothing, you'll hit nothing. And so it's very important that you and I get a God-sized vision for our lives. Uh, that we get a God-sized vision for why we're here. Why has God given us time? Why has God blessed us with gifts? Why has God given us relationships? Why has God given us a job? You see, you don't just need a God-sized vision of eternity, but you need a God-sized vision of eternity that affects everything else that is temporal on this earth. So do you have a God-sized vision for your marriage this year, a God-sized vision for your family this year, a God-sized vision for your job, a God-sized vision for your gifts, a God-sized vision for your talents. Getting a God-sized vision for those things is daunting and difficult and challenging. However, keeping a God-sized vision after you get one is one of the most difficult things that you and I will ever do. It's not enough to get a vision. You then must keep the vision. Because the vision has to remind you every single day when you wake up that it is worth grinding another day. That it's worth putting forth the effort that it's taking for you to change bad habits into good habits that keep you on the path to good fruit that you want to bear in the new year. See, for a lot of you this morning, you don't lack having a God-sized vision. You just lack in the belief that you can actually get there. And the challenge between the gap of getting the vision and arriving to the realization of that vision is you and I waking up with the grit to keep in view the vision that God has given us for the life that we are living. At the end of last year, the last Sunday of the year, when the majority of you who uh, love Jesus but not enough to come between Christmas and New Year um, were watching online, uh, I reminded you of something simple and overlooked. And really, that's what we spent the beginning of this new year doing, going back to the basics, the simple things that if they were done consistently in your life, they would lead to the kind of change that you desire, yet you give up on before you can ever realize it because of the consistent cost of you doing it over and 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 over again. And so we, we looked at a proven practice that's modeled by Jesus while he was on earth. And the proven practice was this, get along with God. Now that's simple. It's not complex. 
However, how many of you have found it difficult in the first, I don't know, 15, 16 days of this year to get along with God? How many of you have had a day where it was easy the other four days, but then all of a sudden it got difficult that day, and that day's led into three days where it's been difficult to get along with God? It's so much easier for bad habits to snowball than it is for good habits to be formed. It's like pushing good habits is up a hill, and bad habits are easy slide down a hill. And so we, we talked about the proven practice of getting along with God. Then, then last week, we looked at priorities, which is everyone's favorite conversation to have. And we looked at the fact that if you want to live a life that honors God, a, a life that is great in God's eyes, then you need to understand that there is a, higher or, a hierarchy and an order to the way that God has made things. Everything revolves and is made by God, and it is ultimately for the glory of God. And so the only way life works right, and the only way that life can be great, and the only way that life will be abundant, as the Bible speaks of, is when you and I are living, not out of this idea, but living with Jesus being the center, Jesus being the core, Jesus being the foundation, Jesus before everything because in Jesus he gives you everything you need for everything else you do. So we talked about Jesus being the preeminent priority of our life that leads us into the second most important thing that God has given us in life and that is relationships. Jesus leads me into relationships. Of course, some relationships are more important than the other. Like, like if your kids are more important than your marriage, then you raise kids, they move on, you look at each other and you don't know what to do. Because you've forsaken the more important relationship for 18 plus years. Th- these time suckers, these kids that I have in my house, they, they are going to move out. They are going to leave. They're not living in my house at 25. I'm on the record right now with saying they will either camp in my backyard or they will get their own house by 25. But you're not living in my house at 25. I don't care it, what the economy does. Tough. T- I was about to say tough titty said the kitty, but the milk's still good. But I didn't want to say that. My grandma used to say that to me, it, it, but this is where we're at. Like, you will move on. Our relationship's important, son, but you're going to get a job and wear some pants and find a belt and stop eating canned cheese and stop living out of my house. You can come stay at Christmas for one night, but you will not live in my house for a year. Because me and my wife want to play hide-and-go-seek again. We, we want to hang out. Some of you are concerned. In the early part of the year when all the crowds show up, it's my job to help you discern, are we your weird or not? For some of you, you just realize the Lord's leading you to another place and another fellowship and another church. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Jesus, then relationships. Relationships, then stuff. Jesus, relationships, stuff. When stuff is more important than relationships, then you use people to get stuff. And the problem is people have been created in the image of God. And we have been called to treat them as image bearers of God. Whether or not they turn to God, love God, serve God, or anything. God loves your enemies. And the people that you wish that God would strike down are people that he sent his son on a mission to bleed blood so that they could have the offer of salvation and redemption extended to them. So we have an order in life. And the question we were looking at is are we practicing the right practice and are we living by the right priorities now now that we're at the point of getting a little bit of vision hopefully around a god-centered year i want to talk to you about something that's complex and difficult Uh, a little obscure to be honest Uh, how many of you have heard that when you become a follower of jesus you are a new creation 
that, that, that everything's new, that everything has changed. How many of you believed that and then got confused by your current behavior as to whether or not that was really true? If everything's changed, then why do I still have this habit? If everything has changed, then why do I still struggle with that sin? If everything has changed, then why is life more difficult, more complex, more hard than it's ever been? Any, anybody ever heard that you've been changed by Jesus in a moment, but you struggle to identify that change in this moment of your life? Can I get a witness? Anybody out there experienced anything like that? So here's what I want to do. I want to remind you of what's changed, and then I want to teach you why you need to remember it every single day of your life as God is at work changing you into becoming the person that the Bible says that you are. What are you? What has changed? When you, by grace, through faith, come into relationship with Christ, there is a hierarchical shift in your life, okay? The authority changes. Before you met Jesus, uh, the way that you would go about making decisions was that you have a volition or a will that is called a soul that God gave you. The soul is the place where in creation God took dirt and his spirit and he breathed on you and you came to life. The soul is a place where you make decisions. God doesn't make every decision for you, but he gives you the ability to look at creation and worship God or worship the creation. Now, we're told that everybody with their volition, their will, and their soul has in various ways taken creation, and instead of worshiping God, we've worshiped stuff, which is a misprioritization of the priorities of life that we've talked about. Are you tracking with me? So when you are apart from Christ, you do what seems right to you. You do what seems righteous to you. You do what seems good to you. You do what ultimately benefits you most of the time. Does this make sense? So in the authority structure of your life, your soul, your desires wake up and think, what do I want today? Or what do I have to do today so I can do what I want to do today? Which is why sometimes you get angry at other people who get in your way who are blocking you from the most expedient path to getting to doing what you want to do. Relating to anybody? So you have a soul, and that soul is in this thing called a body. So your soul wants, therefore you direct your body to do. Some days your soul wants to feel healthy. So you have a kale shake and a salad, and you do five sit-ups in your living room. You hold on to that conviction in your soul for a few days. And then, one day you wake up and think, buttery biscuits and Chick-fil-A. Hmm. Your soul wants grease that's been fried in peanut oil to the glory of the Lord. So what do you do? Do you, do you keep drinking the kale shake? No, 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 no. Cheat week, year, month, decade. You, 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 you then direct your body to go and do what you want to do. Now, the, the Bible teaches us that when the soul is on the throne, the body is directed in sinful actions against God. Therefore, you are in spirit dead. 
because your spirit is where you connect with God. Your spirit is where you love God, serve God, fellowship, commune with God, talk to God. And in sin, when the soul is on the throne, the body is directed to do sinful things that have righteously cut us off from communion with God. Therefore, we are spiritually dead. So it's soul, body, spirit. Now, you need to make sure that I'm not a heretic and some kind of New Age weirdo that's just up here espousing things that don't need to be espoused. Where do we see stuff like this in the Bible? Well, there's an address that Paul gives in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And at the end of that letter, he says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and, and, there's the change. There's the change. Before you met Christ, it's soul body, spirit. But Paul is addressing a church of believers who now have been changed by Christ, who are struggling at times to identify whether or not they've actually changed. And Paul reminds them that what has shifted, what what has changed in their life is that they being spiritually dead now are spiritually alive, which means they can commune with God, fellowship with God, worship God, pray and be heard by God, serve God, walk with God, be led by God, be sensitive to the presence of God and the prompting of God because they being spiritually dead now have been made spiritually alive. They being led by the soul now are led by the spirit that's been put within them that communes with their spirit to direct their soul's desires and their body to now do what they weren't doing, which is live a life that glorifies God instead of dishonors God. You and I, when we became followers of Jesus, were meant to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, new followers of Christ Jesus. The Christian life is a spirit-filled, spirit-led existence. David Platt is famous for saying that the problem within the local church today are the people of God attempting to do the work of God apart from the spirit of God. Many of you want God-shaped transformation in your life, but the problem is you want it with your soul on the throne leading the change. You will not desire long enough to make habits good enough the transformation that you want in your life, so there has to be a change in leadership. There has to be a shift in the power that's on the throne. Therefore, God put his spirit within you so that when his spirit takes over the reins of your life, he can supply, provide, endure, and overcome the deficit of the soul that doesn't desire the things of God in your life. Am I making sense to anybody so far? So, you've been given the spirit of God to lead you So that now when your soul desires what doesn't necessarily benefit you long term, the spirit can convict you and remind you of the bigger picture. The spirit not only gives you a vision for your life, but it helps you keep a God-sized vision in your life. So that on the bad days and the rainy days and on the days where you've gone prodigal, you still know that you can come home and that the road still has been paid for you to make a return story in your relationship with God. Watchman Nee says it this way, God dwells in the spirit, self dwells in the soul, while senses dwell in the body. This is how it breaks down. You gotta think about this. This is not a, I'm checking out, waiting on Pastor Russ to say something cute, I can tweet sermon. It's God dwells in the spirit, self dwells in the soul, while senses dwell in the body. In the body. The body is the outer court of the person. This is the visible life that everyone can see. And so, right now, we can see some of you and we know you're not okay. And, and you're in a good spot. 
because you visibly on the outside cannot lie about the internal challenge that's going on on the inside. That's actually a gift. What's more concerning is that a lot of you on the outside look well put together, and you're just really good liars. And you showed up today to personify a person that doesn't need to desperately cling to Jesus, that doesn't desperately need the intervention of Jesus, that is pretty much in and of yourself well successful without God's hand in your life. And that's scary. Because a lot of you on the outside look the part, and there's this story in Matthew chapter 25 of a group of people that outwardly looked like they were great people who stand before a righteous and holy God in Matthew chapter 25. And in spite of what they saw on the outside, he looked at them and said, depart from me for I never knew you. This is concerning. That for a lot of us, outwardly we look the part and we're okay with the fact that inwardly we know there's nothing that has actually changed or been transformed. You see, what, it, what is seen in the body of the person is dependent ultimately on who's in authority inside of the person. So uh, in time, with a lot of discernment, even the greatest liar will be found out. In the words of Johnny Cash, sooner or later, God cuts you down. God's going to see you. I don't know if that's great theology. I'm just saying sooner or later, sooner or later, God sees what you've been trying to keep together, and he's already known, and others see what you've been trying to keep together, what's on the outside, because the inside ultimately flows to what is seen on the outside. The soul of the person, that's what's internal, internal. So inside of the person, that's the place where you have your thoughts and your consciousness. For a lot of you, you've got a lot of great control between soul and body. Your soul thinks things that your mouth doesn't say. You're thinking a whole lot. What comes out? Bless your heart. (laughs) There's a lot going on internally, but all that we hear externally is bless you, right? Uh, There's a lot of that difference between the two. Now, Now, the Bible teaches in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, that out of the overflow or the abundance of the heart, the mouth Speaks for whatever is in your heart determines what you what you say. So even when you conceal it, good, right? Because the Pharisees were really good concealers. They were the best soul-led people on earth. Okay, and and Jesus said, "Look, look. It, the problem is not what's on the outside. The problem is what's on the inside. You don't. Whenever you're washing the dishes, I hope." and if so, don't bring me to your house, uh, you, you don't wash the outside of the dish and then go, well, it's clean, and you put it in the cupboard. Now, the, the place where it's going to have food particles, the, the place where you're going to have germs is on the inside of the thing. And, and so for the Pharisees, they would have the outside, like it was whitewashed. And Jesus said, but it was a tomb. It was dead. And for a lot of us, we were whitewashed on the outside and we conceal it, but with the Spirit's discernment, we, we know that though it's clean on the outside, it's a mess on the inside. We still hate. Therefore, the Bible says if you hate your brother, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already done what? You've already committed murder against them. Like you understand, but, but you and I would say, but I didn't murder them. And God's like, no, no, the problem is, is that you thought thoughts of murder. 
And if you think thoughts of murder long enough and give them a reign and rule in your life far enough, the actions of your life may not end to the bludgeoning of another life, but it'll lead you to places you never dreamed that you would go, doing sinful things that you never dreamed that you would do, keeping you longer than you ever wanted to stay because the path of sin that starts in the mind never leads to the fruit of the Spirit, which leads to freedom. How many of you externally look the part, but internally you know right now that your thoughts are not his thoughts, your ways are not his ways, and what's going on inside of you is anything but godly and good? So we have a soul that's internal. We have a body that's external that can be seen. Then we have the spirit. The spirit is the innermost uh, part of the body. It's the place where we commune with God. It's the place where we commune with God. Now, this is the hierarchy that has been put in place. Spirit, soul, body for anyone that actually lives a life that honors and glorifies God. How does that work? Let me try. Here we go. Every single day, you have to wake up and take up your cross, deny yourself and follow him. Okay, uh, die, die to yourself and follow him. I had a friend this week that corrected me in a good way on this thought. In Luke 9, 23, that doesn't mean you wake up every day. And how many of you said, well, we all have our cross to bear. The point of Luke 9, 23 is not to bear a cross. The point of Luke 9.23 is that you would daily die on one. Why? Because you wake up and your natural disposition is to let your soul lead. You tracking with me? I wake up, I know the, the preacher preached a B-plus sermon yesterday. I got three nuggets out of it. I, I, I want to be different. I want to I serve the Lord. I have, I have things and goals that I want to I I do those things for God. I wake up and immediately what determines the first actions usually is not what is going to glorify God, but what is going to let me get out of the funk and wake up and whatever I need to do to get myself ready for the day before other people come in. And if other people come in and I'm not ready, including God, then it's going to be a bad situation. I need me time, me space. And the Bible says, no, no, no. The, the first action of the day of a believer that wants to grow is that they die to themselves. They crucify the soul that is overnight, tried to get back onto the throne to lead a life and a body against God and rebellion against the things of God around them. So Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross and follow me. You die to yourself. You're tracking with me. Okay, so I, I'm going to die daily so that now the Spirit of God can lead. I'm going to open my hands up over my life. Here's my favorite prayer to pray every single morning, okay? I, I, try, I, I prayed it three times out of seven this week. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Because four days I wanted to be selfish. And I'd love to tell you that I didn't have a consciousness that knew I was being selfish, but I knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> I'm just that stubborn. My favorite prayer to pray in the morning, right when I wake up, to help me remember, die to myself, is, Lord, today is a not about me day. Right now, I want it to be about me. I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about what I want, what I don't want to do. I don't want to take that stupid dog out for a walk. I don't want to feed him. I don't want to cook breakfast for the kids. I don't want to rush out this door to get my kids to an elementary school at 745 in the morning to be in their chair. What kind of ungodly communist person created elementary school to, to start at 745 in the morning? This is ungodly. It is not conducive to a spirit. But Lord, I don't want to live to my way. Today is a not about me day. So Lord, 
In saying that, here's what I know and I'm asking you to help me desire. Would you make it all about you day? God, it's not about me day. Would you make it all about you day? That's the essence of the prayer. The extra was for your enjoyment. (laughs) It's not about me day. I've got to die to myself. Why? Because I'm naturally going to be soul-led if I don't die to myself. And if I'm soul-led, my desires determine my actions and my desires and my actions without the Spirit's guidance will ultimately mean this. Today, I will be controlled by my emotions. I will be controlled by my desires. And those emotions and those desires unchecked will not be godly and they will not produce the fruit of the Spirit. A lot of you right now on Monday are owned by your emotions and your desires and you get frustrated every Sunday you sit in here and you hear a sermon because you want something different. You acknowledge that it would be good, but you wake up on Monday and you fail to die to yourself so you're still soul-led instead of spirit-led. How many of you wake up and the first thought you have is not a godly thought? Or at some point in your day, you have thoughts that are not the most godly. Like you think it out and you're like, man, that would feel good, but I don't think that that's going to end really well. Well, here's the deal. When you received Christ, he not only restructured the authority structure of your body, but he changed a lot of your body. Like your body physically changed at the point of salvation. Let me explain and break it down to you, and then I'll teach you how to think through it, and then we'll land the plane. For instance, the moment you became a follower of Jesus, you were given a new power. Before you met Jesus, you lived a life of limited power. It was limited to your abilities, your will, your skills, your, your achievements, or your failures. But it was your power. But the moment you met Jesus, you received a new power. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17 says this about it. I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you. So we've sung about it, we acknowledge it, we talk about it, but it's true. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is available to the believer, is available to you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you by grace through faith have given your life to him, you now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of you to advocate, to guide, to teach, to help, to, to lead you into the truth that you and I would Uh, masquerade and run away from if it weren't for his leadership in your life. Watchman Nee on this subject, a famous Chinese theologian said this, we must remember well that whereas the soul is the meeting point of the elements of our being in this present life, the spirit will be the ruling power in our resurrection state. So the meeting point where the rubber meets the road may be your soul and body, but The PowerPoint of the life of the believer is in the Spirit. For the Bible tells us it is sown a physical body, but it is raised in Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44, a spiritual body. So we have now been raised to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. The Christian life is only possible by submission, by submission to and dependency on the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 says that the Holy Spirit will teach and help you. John 16, 8 says that the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin whenever you stray, wander, and walk away. Let me remind you, the conviction of God is not a dismissal of God. It is an invitation from God. Conviction is an invitation to communion. Conviction is an invitation back into his home. 
And so when the conviction of the Spirit comes into your life, it's him saying, hey, you've wandered from the house. It's time to come home. Keep that in mind. The Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit will lead us into truth, John 16, verse 13. So if you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, by grace through faith, you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and your leader, to save you from your sin and to lead you and to be your Lord and leader in life, then you have a new power. You are not powerless. You're not just always going to be this way. You are transforming and becoming the image of Christ as Jesus works in your life to change your desires, to change your will. And it starts with new power. There was a song, it was on my Jock Rock album that they used to sell in the gas station. And it said, I got the power. You remember this, Jim? In fifth grade, before church league basketball games, 67 and a half pounds of me, because I was stick and bones, would stand in the mirror with head, headbands on wanting to be Allen Iverson, and I would put that Jock Jam song on, and I would, in the most white boy way ever, start to have a wiggle that took place. I got the power. Okay, my, my point is, every morning when you wake up, you have the power of God at work in you. And sometimes it may be as cheesy as a fifth grader in a mirror staring with headbands on thinking that he's about to be LeBron James when he's going to be anything but. (laughs) Uh, You've got to remind yourself that you have the power of Christ in you. It's that kind of power and that kind of reminder that makes you face giants like David. It's that kind of power and that kind of reminder that helps you to open up windows and pray when praying's been outlawed like Daniel. It's that kind of power that enables you whenever you've gone to your worst, done worst things you ever thought that you would do, that you run to God instead of from God, which is why I think David was called a man after God's own heart. Uh, Greater is he that is in you as a believer than he that is in the world. The moment you became a follower of Jesus, you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You now have a power that you did not have that enables you to have a change in your life that you did not think could be possible. You see, the change of the believer is not the grit of the soul to endure and make good habits. A lot of preaching right now is just about how you need to have better habits because your habits are going to lead you to, and I, look, I agree, habits help, but if you do not have the power of God, all you will be is a better disciplined human being, but not a transformed human being. And you and I have been called to be empowered by and emboldened by the Holy Spirit into our Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, even on a Friday, even on a Saturday night. We have been called to be empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit. You have a new power at the point of your spiritual birth. Number two, you have a new heart. You have a new heart. I loved preaching in California. Uh, For 13 years, I got to be a pastor in California. Here's why I liked being a pastor in California. People in California have less of a filter to lie to you about things that they don't want to do. Like the South is really good about like saying what you want to hear. And we'll look you dead in the eye and say exactly what you want to hear. And all the while, internally, we're going, I ain't doing it. I know this is what's going to end this conversation so I can do what I want to do. So I'm going to say what you want to say, how you want me to say it, and then I'm going to leave your presence and I ain't doing it. (laughs) Ain't doing it. In California, people to your face will be like, nah. I was preaching one time in California and a guy said, I don't believe that. (laughs) Out loud. 
I don't believe that. I was like, ah, cool, all right, let's keep talking about this. And he did the rest of my sermon. He didn't try to heckle me. He didn't know what heckling was, but he would just randomly blurt out without any kind of filter what he thought about whatever I was saying, even if it was straight scripture that I was reading to him. I don't know about that either, preacher. I, I think that there is a uh, gift in acknowledging that our heart doesn't desire the things of God before we meet God. That if we're being honest, that there are days where when we don't let the Spirit sit in the authority seat of our life, our soul still doesn't desire the things of God. Our soul still desires the sinful way at times. Our soul still wants to do things our way at times, devoid of God's power, devoid of God's presence, because we don't actually want God's glory. We want our own glory. We want our own promotion. We want our own comfort. Not comfort that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and us abiding in communion with Him, but comfort that comes from a cheeseburger, comfort that comes from a TV show or that we binge, comfort that comes from us getting what the flesh wants in the moment the flesh wants it. Now, there's something strange that happens at your spiritual birth. Ezekiel records it in chapter 11, verse 19. He says this. He says, uh, Ezekiel 11, verse 19, I will give them singleness of heart or a new heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them t a tender, responsive heart. This is what happened at your spiritual birth. I cannot explain this to you, but I can describe it to you. When I, when I met Jesus at 19 years of age as a, a freshman at Anderson University, uh, I did not want anything to do with God. And not only did I not want anything to do with God, I delighted in the things that I did for myself. I was satisfied with living a life that was just aimed at me being happy. And then I met Jesus. And they don't tell you whenever you begin to surrender your life to the Lord that there's a lot of stuff that used to work one way that ain't going to work in this new life. And so all of a sudden, the sinful things that used to satisfy me that I was perfectly fine with, I no longer was satisfied with just keeping them. Now, let me be very clear. I enjoyed the process of doing it, but the aftermath was brutal because the heart that God had given me desired something differently than what my life was aiming for. I had a new heart. Thank you. <laughs> Positive affirmation. I'll take that. I had a new heart. I had a new heart that God had given me, a spirit that God had put inside of me that was leading me. So, so there was no longer a resting satisfaction in living a life in sin. What came was torment that led to conviction, that led to me realizing Man, I, I, I have to have God. I have tasted, I have seen, I have drunk from the waters of his well. I have to have God. So you've been given a new power and you've been given a new heart. Now the old way of living won't work. Jensen Franklin's a preacher down in uh, Georgia, and uh, he talked about how he was a pothead before he met Jesus. And I'm not saying that you should do this, test this, or live out by this, but this is his story. And he said he, he uh, used to get high all the time. Then he met Jesus at a youth revival one night, and he didn't want to get high anymore. But then his friends really wanted him to get high. So one night he took a joint and he puffed it, but nothing happened. It wasn't working. And he's like, why doesn't this work anymore? And he felt the Holy Spirit convict him go, because your body's changed. What was used as a vessel of dishonor has now been set aside as a vessel that will honor me. 
can't live the same way. You can't find satisfaction in the same things that you used to find satisfaction in. So you've been given a new power. You've been given a new heart. You've been given a new mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Therefore, do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind has been renewed. What does that mean? You're in your volition and in your soul going to think things that don't necessarily honor God. So your mind, in order for it to be renewed, has to go up. You have to defer the thought that is processing an emotion, anger, lust, etc. You've got to defer the thought up. Now, uh, Paul actually says this very thing, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians 3, 1, he says this. Uh, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sight on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. So you've got to think up. This is the renewed mind. I've got to think up. I, my, my mind's saying, my emotions are saying, I want to punch them. I want to kill them. I want to end it. I'm done with this. I deserve better. I don't want to have to endure this kind of suffering. I don't want to go through this kind of pain. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I'm going to blow up. I'm going to show out. I'm going to do me. I'm going to treat me. It's an all about me kind of day. But the mind that has been renewed, that has been filled with the Spirit of God, with a new heart that has been given to you by God, where God is at communion with you, it brings brings that desire and that emotion up. And then you're reminded, there's more to life than just this moment. Everything that is permissible to me may not be profitable. And though I may find permission, even in a gray area, to do things that I want to do, it may not be the most profitable thing that I could do. And so it seeks wisdom at a higher level because instead of thinking down to the old way, you begin to think up to the new way. See, you've been given a new power. You've been given a new heart. You've been given a new mind, which means now by the Spirit of God and the work of God, you now have a new life. You have a new life. A new life that's been given to you to be led by the Spirit, that takes the desires of the soul and puts them into subjection of the Spirit so that you're not soul-led, not tossed from the east to the west or as the wind blows wherever it may go. The spirit, the soul, that now honors the body and doesn't dishonor in the way that it used to dishonor the Lord. Now, here's the problem. That is true of every believer that is in this room. But the reality of what you live is determined by what you choose to put on every single day. The reality of what you live is determined by what you choose to put on every single day. Paul continues in Colossians chapter 3 and he says this, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self. My favorite show growing up was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Were any of you blessed to have seen an episode of Mr. Rogers when you were growing up? Some of y'all only got Daniel Tiger. You were a deprived generation. I apologize that he was not able to be eternal. If there was ever a candidate for we need you to still be alive and doing your show 100 years from now, I I would submit to you Mr. Rogers was something we need. He loved the Lord. God worked him in a powerful way. Every single episode, my favorite thing he would do is he would begin the episode by walking in and he would open up the closet and he would, right? And then he would end the episode by opening the closet and he would, well, every single day, you, you and I, have got to make a decision. Am I going to put off the old self so that I can put on 
the new so I can live spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered, so that the soul doesn't have its reign and its rule to do whatever it wants to do, so that my body honors God. Or am I, in the old way, in the familiar way, and what I've always done, just going to wake up and have at it? Which means my soul will lead the way, my body will ultimately dishonor God, because my actions will not align with His kingdom. And ultimately, spiritually speaking, apart from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I'll be spiritually mute, cut off, not hearing, not sensing, ignoring, and walking away from the Lord. So, we've got a proven practice. We need to get along with God first. We've got a proven priority. You need to make it all about God first. Now we've got a realignment It has to come from God first. If we get a good realignment with clear, activated priorities, with consistent, proven practices, man, what a fruitful year you're in for. What an effective year you're in for. Last week in second service, I got bold enough to look at them and not suggest something. I just said, here's what we're going to do. And you missed out on it because if you've been coming to church here long enough, you know that next service, we do not know what it's going to be. It may be completely different. Scripture will be the same. The rabbit trails we take as the Spirit leads, who knows? But I want to extend an invitation that I extended to them to you this week, and it's this. As they sing, why don't you repent? Why don't we make that the common practice in this house this year? God, I sense your conviction. I know I'm out of alignment. I know that I'm inconsistent in a proven practice or habit that I need to have. I'm tempted to think that I just need a little bit more self-will, which doesn't lead me to actual God dependency on you. And so, God, I repent because I think I can change my life. I think I can fix my life. I think I can make my life better. And at the end of the day, I repent because I know you alone change my life. You alone sustain my life. You alone are what I need in my life. And God, I want to I wanna make it first and foremost about you. So our prayer team is going to be here to pray with you. You move as the Lord leads. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's respond. I'm not enough.